You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. So I was born in San Antonio in 1988. I had a pretty decent early childhood. My parents both worked. My dad worked on airplanes at Kelly Air Force Base. My mom was a middle school secretary. We were pretty close until I would say I was about six. My par- I found out my parents were going to get a divorce. And uh, I went to church, but I didn't really like believe in God. I just went because that's what I was supposed to do. So one morning I wake up and my dad and a police officer arrive on my bed and they tell me my mom committed suicide. I was kind of, uh, I didn't know what to think. I thought she would, like went away and she'd be back. I didn't really know. And that was the start of pretty rough childhood for me. I lost probably my, I lost faith in like everyone in the world. And I couldn't believe that my mom was gone. Um, I, but I still had my dad. Shortly after, my dad smoking crack. I was in and out of drug houses with him. My dad was like the person I wanted to be with all the time, but he neglected me for crack. And no matter what he did, I still was right there by his side. Um, I would visit him every weekend when he was in prison. It was like an hour drive. All I wanted to do was go see him. That was like the highlight of my weekend. I still didn't enjoy going to jail. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. It was just a really tough time. I was lost and I was looking for answers. Same friend that introduced me to cocaine introduced me to heroin. And I snorted it for the first time when I was probably 18. And within two weeks, I had dropped out of high school my third time in my third sophomore year because I didn't want to go to school. And I left home and I probably I probably spent good amount of money trying to end my life. So I went to rehab for the first time when I was 18. And I got out, I took no advice, I didn't work any steps, I didn't get a sponsor. I just kept, I just kept going back to heroin. And this, this continued for maybe 15 years. One of those times I got out of rehab, there was a tornado in Joplin, Missouri. My stepmom said her cousin was a pastor and I was like, well, you have a lot of cousins. Like, why would I care if he's a pastor? Why would I want to go do this? And they're like, just come. You have nowhere else to stay. And I was like, all right, that makes sense. So we drove to Joplin, Missouri. And uh, for the first time, I met some cousins that I had never met before. And my first interaction with my cousin, I'm in the bathroom, and he walks in with his little bleach bottle. And he's like, here, we got to clean this bathroom. And I'm like, are you a pastor or a janitor? And he laughed. And I could, like, I didn't understand at that time, but I understand now that, you know, that's just, that was him serving God, and I can respect that. And I had a really good time there, and I remember, like, going out and doing the tornado work with, you know, Jay and Pastor Nick and, and Ruben, that I really, like, didn't want to do drugs, and that stuck in my mind. But when I got back, I started hanging out with the wrong crowds again, and uh, around that same time, I bought a house, and I just... I tried to stay as far away from my family as I could. And uh, I can remember the biggest eye-opening moment of my life. My friend invi- invited somebody over and robbed them. And I'm looking out my front door, and there's six cops with AR-15s pointed at my front door. And I'm like, what am I going to do? This is not working. And I cried out to God, I think, for the first time. And I was like, God, please get me out of this. And a couple days later, my house got raided. And I ended up in jail. And um, 
When I went to court this time, the, co the judge wasn't so forgiving. He said, you know, I'm not going to let you back out. You're going to do your time. And uh, it was the week before Thanksgiving. So, you know, I did Thanksgiving. I did Christmas. I did New Year's of 2017 in jail. And uh, I was searching, like, I wanted something different. And my dad was like, what are you going to do when you get out of here? And I was like, well, I told him something, but I was really lying. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I want to, like, you know, being clean in jail is one thing, but I just didn't know how I was gonna get out of jail and stay clean. And my dad was like, well, maybe you should go to rehab somewhere else. And I sat there and thought, and I was like, he sent me some brochures and I was thinking, and I was like, you know, I know about Thorn Creek. I know about Thornton, Colorado. Maybe I could give that a shot. Like I'm looking for some freedom and I have a cousin that's a pastor and everybody's always telling me I need to get to know Jesus and I was like you know I don't know about this Jesus guy but I'm gonna give it a try well you know what guys Merry Christmas uh, I see that story and I've had this inside perspective I remember meeting Matt in the bathroom and I remember uh, walking in with some like rubber gloves and you know a bucket and I was and, and it was like, nice to meet you. And I said, okay, you got to clean. And he said, well, I don't, I don't do that. I said, yeah, you do. Let's do this together. And we did it together. And that was our first uh, meeting. Um, do you believe that uh, God uh, has divine moments and appointments in lives? I mean, do you believe that there's a chance that you were here right now because God wanted you to hear this message? I mean, do you believe God is just that big, and it's not by happenstance, it's not an accident. Do you believe you are here right now because God wants to get your attention and God has a message for you? Is it possible God knows you so well and he loves you and he cares about you? Turn to the person next to you and just tell them God has a word for you. And then give them a big kiss Right on. <laughs> oh, 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 let's just pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Uh, Lord, I am so humbled because I get to tell people about, about you, Jesus. I'm so humbled about that. Um, thank you for leaving heaven and coming into our crazy, broken world. And I'm so grateful that your love is greater than our love. I'm grateful that you desire us maybe even more than we desire you. I'm grateful, God, that you're more patient than we are and more loving and caring than we are. And God, I'm grateful that you have this passion inside of you to reach out, to uh, meet people where they're at, and uh, you're still in the business of changing lives. Uh, take a hold of this message here, God. I, I don't, I don't want to just go through the motions here, Lord. I'm, I, I want to be a good, vehicle, a good instrument for you, God. So Holy Spirit, work in me and through me, and give God permission to move in your heart. Just tell him, God, move in my heart. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So this Christmas, anybody have, don't have their Christmas tree up yet? Anybody just don't have their Christmas tree up? Um, well, there was one year that I almost stopped, because we, uh, we were living in Colorado Springs. These are the days of B.C., before children. And uh, BC days. So Grace and I were in Springs, and I was going to Bible college down there. I was on staff, I think, at a church. Anyway, so I was over there, and I remember we decided to go to uh, Divide, Colorado to cut down a tree. 
that was a stupid idea. So we went out there, and I remember, I, it, and if you know me, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, and I saw this tree, and it was like a, it looked like a 30-foot tree, and I'm looking at the top eight feet, I'm like, that's, that's a good part right there. So we decided to cut down this tree with an ax that like that big. Yeah, it was a bad idea. So I'm hammering away at this thing, and I'm hammering, and I'm hammering, and I'm hammering, and I really want to show Grace how strong I am and how I can cut down this tree, and I'm hammering away, and eventually, and I remember, I started, there was like two feet of snow, wasn't there, baby, like two feet of snow, remember, we had to trek down to get to this tree, so it was like something right out of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or something, and I would go ahead, and, and eventually, I remember looking up when I'm chopping away, and no kidding, the whole forest was like doing this number right here, because I was like getting dizzy, and I was about ready to faint, so I go ahead and cut it down, and I know, Dan, you're probably thinking, Ruben, well, you had the wrong thing, I did have the wrong thing, so then we went ahead and cut down over here this part of the tree, and now I've got to take it up the hill, and I take it back up, and I scale all the way back up to, I had a little blazer during those days, and I just like brought it to the car and I left it on the ground and I sat down inside the car and literally I was like this sitting and I'm going <sighs> and my eyes were just that big and then Grace comes up to me and says are you okay what's wrong should I call someone is everything all right you know and, and she just wants an answer she loves me and she probably wants to have kids so I'm like I'm gonna die right now but and eventually we get the tree and we drive home and the thing was like five feet too big in my living room. And then I had to cut it down again with the right thing. But um, have you ever done something like, okay, I don't know. I'm just, just like, I'm just goofy about this. Um, I'm so grateful we have a God who breathes hope. Anybody need hope today? Anybody need hope? God is a God of new beginnings and he knows how to breathe life. And sometimes we're in a situation for so long, we think there's just no way. There's no way I'll be free from this depression. There's no way I'll be free from this addiction. There's no way I'll be free from this anger, or there's no way I'll be free from this lust. You know, there's no way I'll be free from this financial situation, or there's no way my marriage could get any better, and there's just no way I could. And you just kind of get to that place, and you kind of, kind of decide that's just your fate in life. Charles Spurgeon said, without Christ, there is no hope. It's true. It's true. I want to read you a few of my favorite verses about Christmas. Here it is. John chapter 1 tells us who Jesus is. It says, in the beginning was the Word. That W, it's capitalized because it's referring to a deed. It's referring to God. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Let's read it out loud together. In the beginning was... Come on, come on. And the... And the... Did you see that? Let's go back to verse 1, Ezra. It says, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. In the beginning. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He's 100% God. 100% human as well. It's a great mystery. But Jesus was in heaven. And before the world was created, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. It's an important theological truth right there for you to wrap your hands around because Jesus is not an angel. He's not like a God. He is God. Verse 2 says, he was with God in the beginning, in the very beginning. Verse 3 says, through him, that's Jesus, all things were made. And without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. And verse 4 says, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Well, this scripture tells us that in Christ, everything was made. And without him, nothing was made. Everything was made through him and for him, according to Colossians. And the light shines into darkness. That's why when someone turns to Jesus, there's a light that enters their soul. Their eyes look different. And someone who is not walking with Jesus, their eyes look different. They have a darkness about them. But someone who turns to Jesus, they look very different. Verse 14 says this, the word, that's Jesus again, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. It's both. It's not just one. You need both. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And verse 14 says, the word became flesh. Became flesh. I like the way C.S. Lewis said, he said, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. This is 2,000 years ago, changed everything. And now we're here by faith, right? We're here by faith. We can't go to a manger today, and it's not in Commerce City. It's not in Westminster or Broomfield or anything like that. We're just here by faith. We're here by faith that this happened 2,000 years ago, and God just turned everything upside down. Verse 14 in the message version, it says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that good? Moved into the neighborhood. Just said, I'm going to go where you're at. You know what? I, 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 I love a lot of things about God, but I, I could just be honest. I feel like God has reached out to me before I even knew him. You know what I mean? Anybody else know what that feels like? Don't you feel like God has reached out to you when you weren't reaching out to him? God loved you before you knew love. And God, God is a God who moves into your neighborhood. And you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? When did you move in? <laughs> God just moves. That's what he does. He has his passion for you to know life, for you to know his purpose, for you to know his grace and his love. And he's not willing to leave you behind. He'll do everything possible. You being here right now, breathing, is evidence that God's not done with you and you're under the grace of God right now. This, I want to share with you a story about God moving into the neighborhood. When Jesus started walking around, there was this famous story involving this, uh, uh, it's kind of like a couple of swimming pools. They're two side by side. It's known as the Pool of Bethesda. And the Pool of Bethesda, is where these people hung out. I want to have a picture to show you, Ezra. Let's do that. The Pool of Bethesda is where these people hung out who needed to be healed. So, so it was, it, it, Jesus shows up. He shows up uninvited. That's an important part of the story. He shows up uninvited. Nobody asked him to show up. And in fact, the guy that he was talking to didn't even ask him to sit with him. So Jesus totally moves into the neighborhood. So we're gonna, I want to look at that here, guys. That felt like for Christmas Eve, this is the passage the Lord wants me to share this weekend, or today. Verse five, verse, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So there was some shade around these porches, and Jesus shows up, and he does what Jesus does. He hangs out with the sick people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. 
And you see this with Jesus over and over. He's the guy that hang out with sinners. He's the guy that would go hang out with these, these people that people would call the scum of the earth. And he would go sit with them. He would want them to know life. I want you, I want you to see something here. This pool of Bethesda, where it's located, it's actually located on the north side of the temple. So this is not in the church. This is not in the synagogue. This is outside. And Jesus doesn't go into the synagogue. He goes outside to this pool of Bethesda. In fact, the pool of Bethesda was known to provide water for the temple. So he goes there and he sits down and, and, and he goes to that outside place. And I want to say this because some of you might know what this looks like. You have a Savior who pays attention to those on the outside. Your pool of Bethesda is God's opportunity to show you that nothing is impossible for him. And maybe you feel like you're on the outside. Everybody else has it all together. I don't. Everybody else is doing better than me or nobody cares about me or I don't fit in, or I feel overlooked, or maybe you feel like you're on the outside, and that's you. I like what Karen said. You know, we have a wall here in the hall as you go in, and it's a wall that talks about how God has moved in lives, and you're free to write anything on that wall. But Karen said this, God has saved me from my deepest, dark moments in life. I may work in progress. Depression, anxiety, I give it all to Christ my Savior. Glory be to God. Isn't that beautiful? I love the, the transparency here at this church. You keep reading the story. The story says this, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from the whatever disease with which he was afflicted, or she was afflicted. So the idea behind the pool of Bethesda was there was this angel that would come and, and stir the water up. So you have all these sick people that are sitting around it, and whoever was first... Whoever was first and got into the water, as soon as the angel stirred up the water, was healed. So there was a rush to get into the water, and whoever's fastest wins. Literally, you get healed. So, so this guy, who we don't even know his name, Jesus is talking to, and he's been right by the pool of the water, and he's slow. <laughs> For whatever reason, he's slow. If there was a hopeless condition, this is what it would be, because verse 5 says this. One of the men lying there had been sick for, for how many years? Have you ever been in a situation so long that you stopped praying about it? Have you, ever, have you ever been in a marriage so long and it's not going well, a relationship, and you just stop praying about it? Have you ever been in a situation where you think, this is just my lot in life, these are my consequences, I'm going to live with forever, this is just my situation, and you give up? hope. 38 years, this guy's been ill, and he's by this pool of Bethesda. I can't think of anything more tormenting than to see other people get healed and not me. To see other people catch the break and not me. To see other people, you know, with joy and all that and not me. <clears throat> One thing we do know is it's a hopeless, hopeless condition. How, how, how's that, that situation with you? Maybe you're in a hopeless condition. What does that look like? When you look back at this story, verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him and, and knew he had been ill for a long time. Sometimes you see this in the Bible. You see these places, like, like there was another place, and, 
in, in the Gospel of John where, where Jesus, you know, he, he said, uh, he, he told Philip that, that he, he saw him and told Nathaniel that he saw him. And I mean, this idea that Jesus knows you, Jesus sees you, it's such an important message here. I want you to hear this. God sees you and loves you. God sees you and loves you. God knows what your bank account is. He knows your password, every password you have. He knows your history. He knows your fears. He knows your worries. He knows you so well. He knows the last time you compromised. He knows what you did last night. God knows you and he loves you. Just as you're here right now, it's God's desire for you to know him. It's God's desire for you to know him. And he's not going to give up. He's not going to give up. Reminds me a few, uh, I didn't share this in the first service, but um, about a couple of years ago, there was this guy who came to church and he was a teenager. I've known him since he was probably, mercy, probably about sixth grade. And, and he, uh, I've, I've seen him make decisions in life. And, and now he was in the military. He was in the military and he happened to be in the Northwest. But he happened to be visiting one weekend, uh, you know. And, and I went up to him. And I, I don't typically do this with people unless I feel led to do this. But I just flat out asked him, I said, hey, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life right now? You know, this is a guy who grew up in church. But it's possible for you to say, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life, but you don't live like a Christian or you don't follow Christ, or you're not obedient, but you just say you're a Christian. So I asked him, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? And he looked surprised, and he, he said, yeah, yeah, he is. I said, all right, all right. And I said, how long are you going to be in town? He said, I'm flying back out in a couple of days. And I said, all right, I gave him a big hug, big hug. The guy was at the time probably about 22 years old or something like that. Gave him a big hug. I told him I love him, and I do. <coughs> About two weeks later, his mom contacted me and said, my son was just hit by a car on the highway in Seattle and lost his life. That's what he said. And I'll never forget that because I thought how precious life is. You don't know what will happen, and you have an opportunity to know Christ. And it's a gift. We have a gift. In the next life, you won't need any faith to know whether heaven or hell exists. You won't need any faith. You won't need any faith. Jesus knew him. Verse 48, oh, excuse me, verse 6 says this. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him. What does he ask him, guys? Read it out loud. If there was ever a stupid question that Jesus asked, I think this would be it right here. Would you like to get well? Um, wonder what the guy thought. And why would Jesus ask this guy this question who'd been ill for 38 years? Maybe it was a more profound question than we realize. Why would he ask him that? I think there's something about our circumstances. When we find ourselves, let's say, living with guilt for a long time, or, or maybe we find ourselves with any kind of issue that we have, whether it's spiritual or even physical or whatever it is, we find ourselves with it for a long time. You just kind of live with it. It becomes part of you. Um, Grace and I, we were, were, were getting the house ready for some, some people coming over, and, and we were in our dining room, and um, 
<coughs> moving furniture around. And I'm looking at it. We have those little, like a little chandelier thing with lights. And I'm looking, and there were two light bulbs that were light out. And I'm thinking, those things have been out for at least seven years. <laughs> Isn't that right, baby? Like a long time. And I'm like, why haven't I changed them? You just kind of live with it. Anybody have that? Like you have your, your car, maybe, you know, you have to pull up the window or something like that because it's broken. If you ever want to have a car like that, you have to pick it up or, or just something's goofy or you got to jiggle the door to open it and it just, you just never fixed it and you just live with it. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I, I'm okay. I will adjust to the brokenness. I will adjust to the brokenness. And you just say, you know what? I got four other light bulbs that are still working. <laughs> I'm all right. I adjust to the brokenness. We could do the same thing in our life. See, the devil wants to discourage you. He wants you to feel defeated. He wants you to feel weak. He wants to bring you down. Hear this. Don't settle for brokenness over wholeness. That's not your fate. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's not you. That's not you. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'm going to live like this. I'm going to be strong. I'm going I'm I'm to manage myself. I'm going to discipline my thoughts. I'm going I'm to discipline my life better. I'm going to want to be a better man. I want to be, and you're like that, and then you fall. And then when you fall, you're like, oh, I'm not going to try that again. I won't ever say that again because I said it and it didn't happen. And now I feel like I failed. And little by little by little, you just end up living with the broken light bulbs. You just start settling back and you settle for brokenness over wholeness. I'm going to ask you the question, would you like to get well? I mean, do you really want to know Jesus? Would you like to get well? Seriously? Would you like to get well? I shared last, uh, last weekend, like two days ago on Sunday, I shared how, how I, I believe there's times, if we're just honest with ourselves, I believe there's times when God wants us more than we want him. There's times when God's more passionate about knowing us than we are about him. Because if I really want to know God, I'll fast, I'll pray, I'll seek him out. I know how to do that. But sometimes I think we just get lazy and comfortable and we just kind of enjoy our life and we're like, give me, God, give me enough where I'm, I'm experiencing your blessings and take away my guilt and just get me to heaven and I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Would you like to get well? Look what this guy says. Look what his answer was. He says, um, <clears throat> just read uh, the first three words there. He says, what I... Okay, so right there that tells you he doesn't know who Jesus is. He calls him sir. He doesn't call him Lord. He doesn't say his name. He just says, I can't, sir. I can't, sir. Then he goes on to say this. And the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. You know what he's doing? He's doing something that we've all done. In his mind, he's already thought of the solution. He's already thought of the way out of his situation. And the way out of his situation is he needs these other people to stop being so selfish. And they need to let him go first. 
Or there needs to be someone who has a good heart that's willing to pick him up and help him. It's their fault. It's their fault. Hear this. It's our human nature to blame others for our tangled mess. It's our human nature. I wouldn't be like this if my mom, I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for my dad. Oh, it's the boss's fault. It's the boss's fault. That's why he's treating me like this. Maybe you're just not working. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you're just not working. You blame and blame. It's her. It's him. It's human nature. And even the way he thinks. Yeah, you know what? I could be well, but everyone else is first. And we think the same thing. We think, we, we think very, very binary. It's like, if I only had that job, if I only had more money, if I only had that promotion, if I only had that break, if I only had, then my life would be different. If I had another job, then I would be different. And we pin it all on something else. And we convince ourselves that that's the issue when the issue is it's your heart. That's the issue. And that's what this guy says. He says, he does not know who he's talking to. He doesn't know who's in his presence. This is who is standing before him having this conversation. Christ, Colossians says, Christ is the visible of the invisible God. The invisible God was right in front of him. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, glory to God, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is standing right there. I mean, do you know who Jesus is? We came to church together today, this afternoon, to worship Jesus, to, to give glory to this King of Kings and and we exist because of him. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, fire comes out of, it, out of his eyes and, and, and he has, has these feet that are glowing and he's glowing. I mean, he's just, he's erected. We came together to worship Jesus. Do you know who Jesus is? I fear that when we go to church, we're thinking, oh, I hope it's not going to be a long one. What kind of childcare do they have? Will they have donuts over there? I don't know. I'm kind of hungry about that. We don't think, oh, we're coming to worship Jesus. That's what we're doing. And this guy, in the very presence of Jesus, and he misses it. Hear this. Billy Graham said this, the very purpose of Christ coming into the world was that he might offer up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of men. He came to die, and this is the heart of Christmas. <clears throat> Nobody can touch your life like Jesus. Men, no women can satisfy you like Jesus. Ladies, no man can satisfy you like Jesus. No job, no money, no pleasure can satisfy you like Jesus. Do you really want to be healed? I mean, really? Do you really know whose presence we're worshiping? <clears throat> I follow a few people on my Instagram. You guys are going to laugh at me. One of them is Tony Hawk. All right, Tony Hawk, he's a skateboarder. Anybody know that? 
Yeah, I know you don't. Uh, Tony, uh, some of you older people that are ready to kick the bucket, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, Tony Hawk is a cool, and he was around during my generation. I always wanted to skateboard like him. I had a bonsai skateboard, and I tried really hard, and it never happened. But anyway, so um, <laughs> on, on his uh, Instagram, and one of them, he talks about how, how nobody knows him. I mean, there's, there's a game named after him, Tony Hawk, and, 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 and nobody knows him. And he, he talked about one time how someone wanted him to take a picture of this other ki- this kid said, can you come and take a picture of me in front of this skate park? So Tony Hawk's taking a picture of the kid in front of the skate park, and he's like, oh, thanks, man, appreciate it. And he just like walks away. But I feel like that with this the blind, I mean, this guy, this guy, 38 years, and Jesus is standing right by him, and he's saying, nobody was willing to take me to the pool of Bethesda, and he doesn't know that all Jesus has to say is you're healed. He doesn't know there's another way. It's not about more money. It's not about any of that stuff. There's another way. <laughs> Jesus told him, here it comes. Here comes a mic job right here. Jesus told him, let's read it out loud, guys. Oh, we got to go to it. Oh, we got to go to it. Ezra. Verse 8, Jesus told him. All right. Notice there's no water involved here. Verse 9. Verse 9. Verse 9. Let's read the first word. What does it say? The man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat. Instantly, the man was healed. Instantly, the... Instantly the man was healed. Instantly the man was healed. It's a miracle! It's a miracle! Instantly. That's your God. Your God can touch your marriage just like that. Your God can touch your heart like that. Your God can change your life. God can do that. He's a big God. Instantly he was healed. I love the way it was one scholar said it. He said he picked up his mat and walked. Muscles long atrophied were completely restored. How about them apples, medical people? Explain that one. See, that's what Jesus did. He did many of these miracles. You know why he did these miracles? So he can show everyone there's nobody else like him and they would hear him teach. That's where many of the miracles were done so that people would see him and say, I've never seen that before. Let's listen to him. I've never seen that before. Someone else wrote on the wall, God saved me from my bad habits and suicidal thoughts. I'm here today because of him. Amen. Verse 9 says this, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Not good. So the Jewish leaders objected. There it is. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Totally missed the miracle. Have you ever been with people who totally missed the miracle? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, when, when you meet God, just know there's going to be haters. There's going to be people who are going to throw rocks at you. Why are you going to church? Why are you doing that? Who do you think you are? There's always going to be haters. But he replied, and look, look, look at his response. The man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Doesn't even know his name. You know what's interesting about this story? Is this guy is not healed because of his faith in Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. 
He's not healed because of his faith in Jesus. It's entirely by God's grace. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to go to you. You don't know my name. You don't know what wholeness is. You don't know what love is. You don't know. All you've known is 38 years of this condition. But I'm going to extend grace to you, and I'm going to heal you because I have seen you. That's the love of God. This is God's grace. It's God meeting you at your own pool of Bethesda. It's his mercy that refuses to leave you broken. Glory to God. It's his love that gives you a new story. That's the love of God. Do you need a, do you need a new story? Do you want a new trajectory here? <clears throat> hmm. You need to keep reading this thing. You guys got to see this. Verse 12. They said, who said such a thing as that? They demanded. And the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. And verse 14 says, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So what? So, or something even worse may happen to you. What's that about? See, because I don't know about you, but 38 years of, being in a physical condition and being by the pool of Bethesda and watching everyone else get a miracle except me, for me, that doesn't sound fun at all. That sounds like torment. That sounds like torture. You know what I'm saying? That just, you're helpless and, and, and you have these limitations and, and that doesn't sound... And what Jesus is saying, see, Jesus doesn't only care about his physical life because he takes care of his physical life, doesn't he? And God cares about your physical life. But even more so, God cares about his spiritual life, and he cares about the sin. Jesus wants him to be free from sin as well, as this disease. And Jesus says, look, <coughs> stop sinning or something even worse. Did you know there's a worse? You might think it can't get, bad, can't get worse. It can get worse. It can get worse. Count your blessings. It can get worse. And Jesus is saying, what, what is, Romans teaches us, the wages of sin is death. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And Jesus is saying, <laughs> you know what, the pool of Bethesda, I know that sucked, but you know what? Hell is worse. Hell is worse. You're living out the consequences right now in this world. Hell is worse. He says, go and sin no more. Somebody needs to hear that. Right now, it may feel like it's worth it for you. Right now, you may be doing something you know is not pleasing to God, and you may have convinced yourself that it's okay. It can get worse. While you have breath in your lungs and the grace of God is over you, turn to him with all of your heart. Verse 15 says, then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Like, ah, I got it now. His name's Jesus. That's the dude. When you look at Matt Bunch's uh, testimony, it's a beautiful story. Uh, I look at, and I see God's fingerprints all over this thing. I remember when we were going to Joplin way back when, and we partnered with American Furniture Warehouse and all that stuff, and it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> but I remember when my cousin called me and said, hey, Reuben, we'd like to join your church. 
and we'll meet you in Joplin. And I remember, I mean, what are the chances that Matt happened to be sober in between his addictions at that time? You see how God moves. Just happened to be sober and said, all right, I'll go. And I remember meeting him in that bathroom and him not wanting to clean the bathroom and all that stuff. And I remember us over there, we were in a, we, we did a lot of things. We did a lot of cleanup and helping at homes. Tornado, tornadoes are horrible. They're just horrible. But I remember there was a refrigerator truck and there was chicken in it. And uh, there was this church that was distributing food. So there was a bunch of chicken in this refrigerator truck and the refrigeration truck went bad. So all, all the, the chicken was melting, and, and there was chicken blood everywhere. And we had to move it from one truck to another truck. So I remember being in there with a pallet jack. Yes, I can work a pallet jack. And I was moving around with this pallet jack, and I remember putting my back against the wall in that truck, and then my shirt would, like, stick to it because of the chicken blood. I remember that. It just, I had chicken blood everywhere. It was disgusting. We threw all of our clothes away after. But me and Matt were in there, and we were talking in the middle of the chicken blood. See, God was stirring his heart. And he got to hang out with our other Thorn Creek men and women, and he was watching Thorn Creek, and he saw the love. We laughed, and we worked our butts off too. And we loved each other, and we loved people, and he saw that. He saw us love God and love people. See, somebody's always watching you. And it was like God just gave him this glimpse of what his life could be. You ever get a glimpse of like, just like, it's like, okay, I'm going to show you here. Here it is. Here it is. Did you see it? Just, I'm going to show you just a little. Did you see it? Just a little bit. You could have that life in Christ if you want it. Do you really want to be healed? <laughs> Look what happened with Matt. I, I told my dad, you know, let's check out some rehabs in Denver. And uh, he's like, well, when you're getting out on January 31st, February, like three days later, a couple days after the Super Bowl, there's a men's retreat there. So I drove up to Colorado. I went to men's retreat. And men's retreat was great. Um, I remember the soul walk. We had to write something down that was holding us back from our relationship with God and throw it in the fire. I didn't think there's any way in the world an addict like me, that Jesus was going to help an addict like me stay clean. I had a real feeling of gratitude and I felt freedom. I had never felt that before. Like I didn't, I hadn't thought about drugs. I hadn't wanted to do drugs. And for me, that was not normal. So I, I went, I signed up for a 90 day program in Arvada. And I went to the one in Arvada because it was closest to my cousin. He said he would come visit me. It was tough. I've been to rehab before, but I remember, you know, a week went by, two weeks went by, I kept asking the therapist, I just want to go to Thorn Creek. And they're like, you got to be here for more than 30 days. You know, we got to move you to different levels of treatment. And I was like, cool, I just kept asking, I want to go to Thorn Creek, I want to go to Thorn Creek. And the more and more I stayed there, I felt freedom. Even being clean for just like 90 days was, was amazing. Because I've been clean 90 days before, but I never had what I had when I, you know, doing it with God. I've been clean as of today. It's been 18 months and a week, and I've never been happier in my life. I've never seen my family happier. Like, Jesus has done something for me that nothing else could, not drugs, not women, not even money. Like, I have everything I want today in my life, and I never would have thought that 
getting to know Jesus would give me everything I want, but it made, it's made me okay with the person I am, with what's happened to me in the past, because I owe a lot of my life today to Thorn Creek Church and to God. If you just put all your faith in Jesus and you get out of the way and let Him do the work, anything is possible. Praise Jesus. I remember when he was in a, at the <clears throat> men's retreat, and I remember that soul walk that he's talking about, that moment when he gave his life to Christ. I remember visiting him at rehab. He wasn't allowed to have Chick-fil-A, so I took Chick-fil-A for myself so he could watch me. And, and I remember having a, a waffle fry, and he was looking, he said, can I have a fry? And I said, no, man, you can't. And I was like, real, and he said, you're a bully. That's what he said, you're a bully. <laughs> Just beautiful, but you know what? He's been clean for over two years now. He's experiencing a life that he's never experienced because of Jesus, not because of any person, but because of Jesus. And his life today is so different. You know, one thing that I've seen, when, you know, as a pastor, um, the highs are higher and the lows are lower. Just know that the highs are higher and the lows are lower. But here's the good high is I get the good high. The good high is I get to see God work in different lives. And every, so many times God works in a life and I feel like God looks to me and says, what do you think about that, Ruben? What do you think about that? And I just feel God showing off all the time, saying, look, what do you think about that? And I look at, I look at Matt and God knows the desires of his heart. He is a sports fanatic. And he's living in the city. He's going to the Nuggets game, the Broncos game, the Rockies game, whatever. And he always wants me to go. I've never been to so many Rockies games ever since he's been here. And I go not because of the Rockies necessarily at all, but really because of my cousin Matt. And I see that, and I see a God who knows the desires of our heart. God knows the desires of your heart. Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? I want to give you an opportunity, guys. Would you pull this out? Uh, everybody uh, pull one out. If you don't have one, you're not going to get a Christmas gift this year. So raise your hand if you don't have one. If you don't have one, okay, we got some over here. We need more people to help pass them out. Can we? Oh, there's Jeremy in the back. He's getting. Thank you guys for jumping out. You guys, <laughs> hold your hand if you don't have one. We're, 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 hold your hand up if you don't have one. And you can we'll, we'll pass it out here real quick. Somebody's coming each. Keep your hand up, will you? We got two over here in the front. <clears throat> two women up here in the front. Everybody, right over here, right over here in the front. <clears throat> Don't give them yours. Now we got to replace hers because she just gave them hers. <laughs> All right, so here's what I want to do. I, I believe that God delights in us taking action. It's not about going through the motions. So I want to give you an opportunity. I want to I want to encourage you to pray this. So I says, this Christmas Eve, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life and home. I recognize God's love and grace for my life today. Here's some boxes for you, some prayer so you can say. One is I invited Jesus Christ into my heart for the first time. Or I recommitted my life to Jesus Christ. Or I asked God to touch my life. Or I'm making a decision to attend Thorn Creek for the Hope is My Story series. We're going to spend a number of weeks over this idea that Jesus brings hope and the title of this hope is my story. And we would encourage you to attend church every weekend here at Thorn Creek, unless you're out of town or something like that. That's
that's it. So I want to pray with you. This is the time. Do you really want to be healed? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. And right now, God, we humble ourselves before you. And maybe you need to receive Jesus into your life and you're ready to say that prayer right now. Right where you're seated, would you say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, be my Savior, forgive me for my sins, and I turn to you. I choose to become a Christian this afternoon. And put your Holy Spirit inside of me to teach me how to walk with you. Others of you, maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but maybe you need to say this prayer, God, I need to recommit my life to you. I'm going to turn to you. I want more of you. I want to be healed. And just make that your prayer. Say, God, heal me. Jesus, heal me. Thank you, God, that you're a God who moves into our neighborhood. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.